0: andy what are you doing we're about to start the podcast
1: rob we need to talk
0: andy i'll return your car after we've finished recording this podcast
1: it's not about that it's about investments
0: andy i know nothing about my super
1: so rob we need to sort it out
0: but andy who can help
1: well you can use my accountants quantify accountants and bondi junction have you heard of them
0: are they the ones that spell quantify with a ph
1: That's them, Quantify, as in Quantify, Q-U-A-N-T-I-P-H-Y. They're terrific, a medium-sized four-partner firm who specialise in tax advice and compliance and retirement and investment advice. They also have other divisions like mortgage broking and a superannuation division. And they're just above the interchange and bond Junction. And they're not your boring stereotype accountants. Maybe not hip, but definitely modern. All
0: right, Andy, let me grab your keys. I'm going to back the car out and drive to them straight away. I wonder if they can organise short-term loans.
1: Quantify Accountants, proud sponsors of Coffee, Cake & Culture, The Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to Coffee, Cake and Culture, the music podcast. I'm Andy Bromberger.
0: And I'm Rob Caldor. Andy, what is this whole podcast about? What's Coffee, Cake and Culture, the music podcast about?
1: The music podcast is about exactly that, about music. In this podcast, we look at various aspects of music and I try and demystify those aspects to you and I suppose those people listening. The first series was all about what is music and this is all about what are the instruments in the orchestra.
0: Andy, look, we've got loyal listeners and yes, they already know all of this, but in case it's the first time you listen to it, you've got a bit of background to Coffee Cake and Culture, the music podcast, which as you know is available, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on the website, except What's it got to do with cake?
1: I adore baking and with every episode I suggest a cake and give you some recipes and they are all on my website, coffeecakeandculture.com.au.
0: Andy, everyone's all over the website. I have no doubt they're downloading recipes, cooking, listening, eating all at one time. What are we talking about today?
1: So today we're looking at the fourth aspect or the fourth family in the orchestra, and that's the percussion family, that big, huge section at the back of the orchestra.
0: They're slightly in the orchestra. I don't know. How would you characterize them? A bit ridiculed. Are they like not real musicians?
1: I think non-musos think that, but I think musos actually think they're quite sexy at the back of the orchestra there. It may look like they're not doing a lot, but we really wouldn't function a lot of the time without them. When they do play, it is really important.
0: I've noticed when I've been to various classical music and non classical music events, the percussionists tend to do lots of non verbal communication, lots of eyebrows up and making sure the timing's right.
1: Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine you're about to play a solo, but you've got 35 bars before you play that solo, and that solo is one ding on the triangle. Can you imagine if that ding isn't absolutely perfect? I think percussionists really have nerves of steel because anything and everything they do is absolutely audible to the audience.
0: In past experiences, played a bit of the cowbell.
1: Very hard thing to play very well.
0: But, Andy, before we go any further, I walked into our podcasting studio today yes. and I smelt something which got me thinking about what goes with the coffee that I'm now drinking.
1: Okay. The coffee that you're now drinking needs these things that I actually invented myself. Last time we did Rocky Road, which was a sort of an Andy adaption, this is actually an Andy invention. And I think it's perfect when we're thinking about the percussion section. Because what this is... A whole lot of anything. So I go into my pantry and I get all the nuts I can find, and different types of nuts, and all the seeds I can find and all the dried fruit I can find. And I put them all on a baking tray and I stick them in the oven until they are really, not burnt, but really almost burnt, really at that almost point. And I pull them out and then I make a whole lot of toffee. Now, toffee is just sugar and water and you've got to let it sit for ages and ages and then when it's almost turned into like yuck I pour that toffee over all those nuts and seeds and dried fruit and then I let that sit and when once that has all settled and cooled down I then melt dark chocolate and I pour dark chocolate over the toffee. And then I break it all up into little sections. You've seen the sections Mm. in the kitchen. And there it is so yummy because the dark chocolate and the really almost bitter toffee is a great foil for the sweetness of the dried fruits and also the sweetness of the toffee. It all works fantastically together. And it's what I call a Bissola recipe. And I do a lot of Bissler recipes. And a bissell recipe is a of this and a of that. So there's no specifics of nuts, fruit, seeds. Just literally I go into my pantry and I throw it all in.
0: I can see the analogy with percussion. And also as someone who often struggles that fine line between burnt and non-burnt i often go over the line i think feel that timing is imperative in your bisler recipe it is
1: it is quite important yes because i sometimes make two batches of the toffee and one will be definitely a lighter cut- color than the other but if you can get it to that almost that really rich amber color that is the perfect way to have it
0: all right i look forward to uh, having a Bissler at the end of the podcast I don't think I could have it now whilst talking or else my mouth will like become jelly
1: definitely and I have to say people have often said to ask me if my other job is a dentist or if my husband's a dentist or something like that after I feed them this because it is pretty crunchy and I would hate to think anyone would break their teeth but be careful
0: all right listen let's talk about percussion
1: before we start talking about percussion Rob I want you to listen to this little bit of percussion music
0: Andy, that is a lot going on. Very cinematic. What was that?
1: Okay, so that's a fantastic piece of music by a guy called Jacob Remington, and it's called Prelude to Paradise. And what you hear in that are two types, two families almost, of percussion instruments. Because in the percussion section, we have both what we call tuned and untuned percussion. So, a tuned percussion instrument is an instrument like a mallet instrument, something where you, it almost is like a keyboard that you play with mallets, with sticks. And then you have the untuned, and they're things like drums. So, in this piece, you hear both the tuned and the untuned. Can we just hear a fraction of it again, now that I've told you that? So, have a listen again, just a little bit of it, to hear, so you can now hear maybe the difference. tuned and the
0: untuned in that uh, Absolutely it's like there's a lot of movement going on and you can hear the mallet instruments, my uh, UK xylophone <laughs> coming through I could hear and some sort of drumming like rhythm going on.
1: Percussion instruments Rob are probably the oldest instruments if we think about them two cavemen pick up at two sticks and hit them together we have a percussion instrument but what's so interesting about the percussion is that there aren't violins in all types of music and there aren't clarinets in all types of music. But if we think of percussion, there is percussion in almost all aspects of music. So we're going to listen to a little bit of a marching band. A marching band relies on the snare drum, playing that crisp beat to keep the soldiers on the band marching to the right beat. So let's have a listen to a little bit of Marching Band.
0: feel like we're in the Scottish Highlands now. <laughs> we're, we've touched before on the bagpipes, but obviously yeah. there was a drum beat that was keeping those, I think that was an Edinburgh tattoo maybe you sure were listening was. to, yep, yep. marching to the beat.
1: Exactly. So you've got the bass drum and you've got the snare drum keeping everybody in time. If they weren't there, there would be chaos because that is a very long line of mus- musicians playing. And so you have to keep those musicians in time. We can't do it with a conductor because no one can see them. So it's the drum beat that's so important. And in fact, in a lot of military bands, there are signals that are told to the other musicians with the drums, with what they play. They have specific signals that tell them what's going on next. So very important.
0: I think it's really interesting. I think we touched on when we were talking about brass relationship Mm -hmm. between the brass section and the military and now it's obviously the percussion and the military.
1: Exactly.
0: What a war-enabled species we are all about the military. (laughs) No, but I get it. It's rhythm and discipline and marching is why percussion is so important.
1: Exactly. But you know what? It's not just that. If we think about jazz, if you think about... This is distinctive hi-hat or ride cymbal, which is synonymous with swing music. You can't really have swing without that fantastic percussion section, that drum section, almost giving the feel to the whole piece of music. Have a listen to this.
0: but you can hear the momentum, the rhythm, the pace of the music all coming from the percussion.
1: Quite often the pianist, the bass player and the drummer are all referred to as the rhythm section, exactly what you just said. You can feel the rhythm through it and that whole little section becomes the rhythm section. And I think that what I want you to do in this whole podcast, Rob, is that when we hear music, which is orchestral, I want you to really try and listen to the percussion sections because I think that when we listen to music often, unless you are a percussionist yourself, you tend to listen to all the instrumental bits, all the top bits. You listen to the tunes and all that sort of stuff. What I really would like you to this in this podcast is really try and listen to that percussion section or the drums or whatever we're listening to because when we just did that excerpt then, I could tell that you weren't listening to the piano, which had the melody. You were really trying to listen to the drums that had the beat.
0: And I think there's a link between Series 1 when we're talking about rhythm, obviously. Mm. People go back to that because I think there's a link between our heartbeat and rhythm and percussion are the purveyors of rhythm mostly am i right
1: absolutely absolutely so
0: yeah i think the different pace definitely has an emotional input onto your listening experience look i heard it there on the dizzy gillespie but i can can see it's important
1: now i'm going to get you to play something else something again that i don't think you would have expected in a classical music podcast but if we think of music in popular culture i bet you couldn't name Four or five pieces of music in any type of popular culture, whether it was rock or hip-hop or rap or funk or soul or anything, that doesn't have a beat, that doesn't have a drum giving us a beat.
0: Not that I can think of.
1: Exactly. So the percussion section, again, in in contemporary music, so important. Let's have a listen to this.
0: Andy and myself were in sync with Bruno as he's doing magic. Look, that was Bruno Mars even. I know that. And, yeah, look, it's there are some songs that you can't not dance to. And
1: one of the reasons is that drum in that piece, it's that drum beat that goes through the whole thing. It just makes you want to move. And as we said, you're absolutely right, the drum makes you want to move and it makes you want to groove. And I think Bruno was definitely doing that for us. So now that we've gone through how diverse the percussion section is and in musically. I think what we need to look at is how the percussion section works in the orchestra, because let's face it, that's really what we're talking about in this series. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play you a whole lot of excerpts now, looking at the mallet percussion or the percussion instruments that are tuned. So the tuned percussion instruments are those instruments where I can make a specific note. It's when you can actually play a C, a G, a D, whatever the note is. And a lot of those percussion instruments are what we call mallet percussion instruments. And the mallet percussion instrument means it's hit with a mallet. And so I suppose, Rob, before we even talk about that, I suppose I need to actually tell you what a percussion instrument is.
0: Tell me, Andy.
1: I think we just assume, like when I say wind instruments, we may not assume what a wind instrument is, but I think when we talk about percussion... We assume that everybody knows what a percussion instrument is.
0: I think there's a lot of basic knowledge. I think we touched on before the xylophone. I do think a bit of glockenspiel was Excellent. played in primary school. Yep. And then drums, classical drums, I don't know. The timpani is the one that comes to mind mm-hmm. for me. But in the tuned one, yeah, I was just thinking and maybe... I know jazz uses something called the vibraphone. Ah, you
1: may be hearing some vibraphone in a little while.
0: Okay, but so the malleted ones are, yeah, I get Like the xylophone family, I don't know if that's a family.
1: Well, it's it's, it's part of the mallet percussion bit. But a percussion instrument itself is an instrument that can be sound by being struck or scraped by a beater. It's an instrument that can be struck or scraped or rubbed by hand. It's an instrument that can be struck against another similar instrument. Or being struck itself. What we see about percussion instruments is that unlike the winds, unlike any of the other sections of the orchestra really that have stayed the same pretty much over the years, the percussion section is the section that expands and has changed over time. And I think that you know when you go and hear a concert you're always going to see a string section that may be bigger or smaller but it's always going to have first violins and second violins and all the rest and they pretty much the same with the wind and the brass section but that percussion section is going to be different and look different with every single piece you see sometimes it's going to be just small and maybe have a timpani and maybe just one or two other things and sometimes it can be enormous and have five six seven people running around playing a whole set of different instruments. Because there are a few really interesting aspects of the percussion section. The first one is, is that I'm a clarinetist. I play the clarinet. I can play the saxophone very badly and the piano even worse, but I am a clarinetist. You don't have that with a percussionist. Percussionists have to be generalists. They have to be able to play everything. You can't say I am a xylophone player or I'm a triangle player. Now, you have to be able to play everything. Now, you may be better at the mallet percussion. That may be your strong point. Or you may have a job as the timpanist of the orchestra. And in fact, there is a timpanist and percussion players. So there's a principal timpanist and a principal percussionist. But they have to be able to play everything. They, you can't just go in and say, I'm mm, sorry, I'm only playing the whatever. You have to be able to play everything.
0: So they're right. literally all-rounders. They have to Absolutely. do a lot.
1: Absolutely. Yes. If you think that they have to be able to play everything and play it to a concert performance standard, then that's pretty impressive.
0: It reminds me maybe of like insurance or IT departments. It's only if you get it wrong that people notice you.
1: <laughs> yes. Maybe. I think of more of them as like GPs. You know, the GP is the doctor you go to and they know everything while you go to the cardiologist when you need your heart. Well, that's the clarinetist, you know. Yeah. that's They are just the the generalists. They know they can do everything. Obviously, brilliant at everything, but you can do everything.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: what we're going to do, Rob, is I'm going to tell you a little bit about a whole lot of percussion instruments now and then we're going to hear a little bit of an excerpt. So there's lots of music in this Podcast. So let's start with the mallet instruments. So I've explained what they're like. They're like the keyboard of the piano. So they range from small pieces of metal or pieces of wood, ranging to big pieces of metal or wood. And as we've talked about before, the smaller they are, the higher they are, and the bigger they are, the lower they are. So the first instrument we're going to look at is a xylophone. And a xylophone has this gradual a gradual in size starting from smaller to larger and they're made of hardwood and they're hit with mallets and they're the sound that they make when they're struck with a hard mallet hitting these hard pieces of wood makes this sort of bright sharp sound and they were first used in the orchestra about a hundred years ago and that's something else that's really interesting about the percussion section in that As we've moved through time, the percussion section has, as I said, grown bigger and bigger. But there are many instruments that were invented specifically for this. So one of these is this originated in Africa, but has become into sort of almost the mainstream of percussion sections in the orchestra. So let's have a little bit of this. This is Gershwin's Porgy and Bess.
0: That was pretty amazing and you need to be very exact and quick to play the xylophone in that context.
1: Sometimes they might have two mallets in each hand and so they've got the mallets between their fingers and they'll be playing different notes. So four notes are happening just by moving their fingers and moving the mallets with their fingers.
0: That's pretty crazy considering obviously when you're playing a piano which you know you've got 10 fingers but which you're this, controlling with which you're, you're controlling, controlling yeah. that's right and this your yeah so yeah look I would like to see that live that's for sure
1: yes okay so that's the first one the next one we're looking at is a glockenspiel which you mentioned before now the difference between a glockenspiel and a xylophone and people always get these confused is glockenspiel is metal so it's the bells and in fact sometimes pieces of music that are actually written for bells are now used on the played on the glockenspiel because it's and it's easier to play than playing the bells and i think one of the most famous of these glockenspiel solos is from the sorcerer's apprentice and we can thank mickey mouse for that
0: seen Fantasia, Fantasia. <laughs> but I think there is a element of cartoons with the Xylophone and glockenspiel. and trubel. there's a childlike element to it but that's not to underestimate the complexity of it
1: oh I've never thought of it like that but yeah I suppose it has a childlike quality because in kids bands and things like that we play they always have them but they are such as you said such complicated instruments played professionally I suppose that's another interesting concept with percussion instruments that they are the one instrument where there is a huge difference from the amateur to the professional. So you have the seven, eight, nine year olds who are playing in school bands, playing percussion instruments, and it's pretty raw. But then you have the professionals who are playing something that is so fantastically different, although they're playing exactly the same things. I and mean, I suppose we can even look earlier. Every grandma and grandpa gives their one-year-old grandchild a little glockenspiel to play to annoy the parents as much as possible. Well, that goes on and ends up being the Sorcerer's Apprentice.
0: You can also hear it's in the combination of rhythm and melody.
1: And that's what happens with these tuned percussion instruments. And as you mentioned before... The vibraphone. So you're right, the vibraphone does play a lot in jazz but also plays in classical music. If we think about Bernstein's West Side Story, we have a lot of vibraphone in that. And I suppose that is a crossover. It's quite jazzy in some aspects. And the vibraphone was invented in 1916. And so it has the wood bars but it also has a pedal so it has a vibration. So unlike the other instruments which are acoustic, this is actually plugged in, so you plug it in, so it has a, 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 a reverberation sound, hence the that fact it's called a vibraphone. Let's have a listen. I want to get even. Get cool. I want to bust. Wanna bust cool. I want to go. Go cool. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Get cool, boy. Got a rocket in your pocket. Keep coolly cool, boy Don't get hot Cause, man, you got some high times ahead Take it slow, and daddy, go You can live it up and die in bed Boy, boy, crazy boy Stay loose, boy Freeze it, buzz it, easy does it Turn off the juice, boy Go, man, go
0: I mentioned when we uh, touched on some Bernstein, it's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite musical of all time. But I imagine that, I mean, was that more than one vibraphone playing?
1: Nope, one vibraphone, four sticks. That's
0: crazy, crazy. you got to have some strong fingers in there, I think, to uh, imagine it. And obviously, it's. It, there's a build-up element in this in the context of the uh, the musical, but I think there's something in the rhythm, in the melody. It does make you feel a little bit uneasy, that sound.
1: It, I mean, look, Bernstein's one of the great composers, but it is that build-up. There's tension. There's a lot of tension going on in that little excerpt. It's because it's quiet and you can feel that... It, it's going to build and build. And not only that, that the orchestration is going to build. It's starting off with pretty much just that vibraphone and you can feel that the orchestra is going to become much, much more important in that section. The one other thing I need to talk about before we go off the mallet percussion is the concept of mallet. Because what we also have with percussionists is they have an array of sticks. So they walk around with an enormous amount of various mallets so they will have some that are big some that are small some that are wooden tips some that are hard plastic tip some that are mushy some that have got a lot of wool on them some of them are big some of them are little and all of these mallets give the music a different feel and a different sound.
0: You can see though, you can see the xylophone's a bit softer than the glockenspiel, the vibraphone. And you can see different different mallet will have a different feel. Someone that's used to hitting things about it.
1: If we had an excerpt where the, a person was playing, say even that excerpt, on a whole series of different mallets, you would hear a very different sound of the vibraphone depending on what mallet they were using.
0: And I think that's part of, obviously, the creative choice of the conductor.
1: The creative choice of both the composer and the conductor. Okay. So now let's move to the drums. So the first drum that we need to talk about when we look at tuned percussion is the timpani. Because the timpani is actually a tuned instrument.
0: See, I wouldn't have thought that.
1: Okay. So if you look at the orchestra, there are usually anywhere between two, four, sometimes more but timpanis. And each of them is of a various size. And each of those has, a because of their various size, are tuned to different notes. But the timpanist can also change those notes. There's a pedal. And they can change the notes by pushing that pedal, which will tighten or loosen the skin on top of the timpani. And they can also tune the timpani by moving that pedal. So they, they can do a lot of tuning with while they're playing. And just a silly little story, and I'm sure my husband doesn't mind if I pay him out on the podcast But I took him to a concert one day and he doesn't know a lot about music. And um, he whispered to me in the middle of the piece, the timpanist's fallen asleep. Mm. Because the timpanist had his head on the timpani and he was tuning it. And my husband thought he'd fallen asleep and he was having a little nap while the piece of music was being played.
0: Look, I'm with your husband on this. I would have done... (laughs) (laughs) I would work out, but obviously it's not the easiest instrument to tune, I wouldn't imagine. So
1: they tap it very lightly because you've got to do it lightly because otherwise the whole orchestra is going to hear it and the Mm. audience has to hear and then they can tune it by just tapping the note and hearing what the note sounds like. So the timpani was also the first percussion instrument to go into an orchestra. So when in the classical period, in the period of Mozart and and Haydn, those guys, when... The orchestra sort of formed. Two timpani were the first percussion instruments to be added to it. We're going to listen to a little bit that's nowhere near Mozart or Haydn. This is Carmina Burana by the composer Orff. Just listen to this timpani playing.
0: 70s and 80s that was the old spice ad from memory (laughs) but yeah you can hear that the whole music is underpinned by that timpani banging on.
1: That's exactly right and the mallet that he's using is a mushy mallet that's a technical term it's a very soft mallet and you can a woolly mallet and you can hear that in the production of that sound and there are five timpanies that he's playing in that piece of music.
0: So is there usually only one timpani player with lots of timpani yes. drums?
1: Yes. There are a few pieces of music that will have two timpani sets, but no, one person is the timpanist.
0: But on that piece, I mean, uh, Burana. Burana. Yep. I mean, Burana. I It really, I mean, it's such a dramatic piece. And you got the quite the choir coming in quite earnestly as well. Yes. So it's, it's a... It's a very dramatic piece.
1: It is. That, that section of it is very dramatic. Absolutely. Great fun to play. Great fun to sing. I'm sure. So the next instrument we're going to listen to is a snare drum. Now, do you know anything about a snare drum?
0: I would have thought somewhere between jazz and military. How's that for a... No, it's... <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I like where you're going. I like where you're going. Okay, so yes, you're right. But the snare drum was also one of those first instruments to be played in a an orchestra. So, yes, I can see where you're going, but the snare itself, do you have any idea why it's called a snare drum? I have no idea. Okay. So if you look at a snare drum, it looks just like a plain drum. On the top, it's just plain. But if you flip the snare drum over, on the back of the snare drum, it also has a skin, so a skin on the top and a skin on the bottom, but sitting on the skin is a snare. Now, what's a snare?
0: It's a very good question. a...
1: (laughs) A snare is a whole lot, say five or six coiled pieces of metal that sit on the bottom of the skin and vibrate. So they're thin and they sit on the bottom of the skin and vibrate. So instead of hearing when you play a drum, hearing that, you actually hear... interesting as the snare vibrates on the drum but the drum doesn't always have to be a snare drum because there are two little levers or a little lever on the side of the snare drum where you can if you put it in one position the snare is sitting on the the skin so making that sound but you can also change it so it drops so it just sounds like a drum
0: Interesting. So it gives you flexibility. It
1: gives you flexibility, and as well as that, depending on where the player plays on that drum, will give a different sound. So we're going to listen to obviously bolero because bolero is Ravel's bolero is the big snare drum piece. What you hear is it starts really softly, and as it gets bigger and bigger the snare drum player will move where those sticks are from the right at the edge to much, much closer into the middle so that when he's playing or she's playing loudly, she's actually he, she bashing in the middle of that drum, giving it a totally different feel because you can get a lot more oof playing in the middle of the drum than playing on the side of the drum.
0: Again, touching on us gen x's that obviously is a bit of bo derrick in the 70s i, see, I don't see
1: bo derrick i see torval and
0: dean ah yes okay
1: yeah i could
0: be wrong i could be no, wrong no, it was 10 yeah, was, no, it but, was
1: 10, but torval and dean you know the ice skaters
0: yes so They're look so same coin different <laughs> sides <laughs> But obviously very dramatic in what very what we're listening to. You've got the you can hear what you were saying before, the build up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: then it's like linking it in with the woodwind section. So we start with a bit of flute, I think, clarinet.
1: In fact, it is the perfect piece of music for this series because Every section of the orchestra is represented. The strings come in, and all the brass, we have a saxophone in there, we have have an E-flat clarinet, which is one of those little clarinets, the little clarinet in the clarinet family. So it's just fabulous how everyone is represented in that piece.
0: Let's listen a little bit more. you brought up Torval and Dan, you can imagine how important timing is for jumps and landings and how, I remember now how dramatic it is when they land on the different beats and things like that.
1: It re- really is. I mean, I, I actually re-watched that a couple of months ago because I was thinking about that piece and thinking, as an adult now, I wonder what, it, what they look like. Oh, it's just as riveting now as it was then. But we need to talk about another instrument. And that is the bass drum so the bass drum is like a snare drum on steroids without the snare so it's just this big huge drum and it was actually added to an orchestra in about 1782 so right early and by the composer Mozart and what Mozart did was Mozart wanted to make his music sound a little bit more spicy and exciting. So he would add these, these new sounds to his orchestra, things like the timpani, but also things like the bass drum, and we'll talk about it in a little while later, but cymbals and triangles and the like as well. So one of the really important pieces of music for bass drum is a modern piece of music. I shouldn't really say modern because it's over 100 years old, but it was written by Stravinsky and it's The Rite of Spring. And this piece was written in 1913 and they say that this was the most controversial piece written in the 20th century. I
0: think spring. we spoke about this, Andy, during one oh, we Series did. 1. yes,
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. We talked about it with rhythm. really interesting things about that little excerpt is that the percussionist isn't playing this the bass drum the way he usually plays it or she usually plays it which is where they hit it on both sides so it's so big they stand in the middle of it and they hit both with the right and the left hand as it's on its side because this is such a big piece this the bass drum is actually flipped on its side so it's like a tabletop and they play it like you would play a snare drum. And the mallet that they use for this is actually a hard mallet, unlike the big soft mallet, which is often used in in bass drum playing. But you can hear how rhythmic this is.
0: I think it's interesting when we were talking about before the mallets and hitting and now we're talking about drums and hitting. Mm. It is in a way, and we shouldn't skirt around it, it is representation of violence and anger, I think.
1: Well, you're absolutely right in a sense in that, especially initially, when composers added percussion to their music, they wanted to get a response. So it was either to add a feeling of military, as we were talking about before, or fireworks, or this, or that. So you're absolutely right that the percussion is used so often by composers to highlight a theme. Because we have a whole bunch of auxiliary instruments and auxiliary percussion instruments. They're sometimes called the battery percussion or the accessory percussion because if you think about what's going on in the back there, it's more than just drums and mallets. We have a whole lot of other things. We have wood blocks and temple blocks and shakers and finger cymbals and claves and maracas and bongos and china cymbals and crash cymbals and suspended cymbals and ride cymbals and hi-hats and wind chimes and cowbells and I could keep on going on and on.
0: I'm happy that the cowbell was mentioned. Was the triangle mentioned?
1: Oh, I could have gone to tambourines. I didn't even go to all of them. But yes, absolutely. And what is another really fascinating aspect of the percussion section is that as the world opened up and as composers were experiencing music from other cultures, one of the big aspects that they took were the percussion instruments. So if we think about Mozart again, at the time of Mozart in the second half of the 1700s, the Austrians were often having disputes or fighting the Turks. And so what we see in Mozart's music is we see not only the timpani, but we see triangles, we see symbols. Sometimes you would have a tambourine. These are instruments from the Turkish culture.
0: And I think you mentioned maracas and things like that. Obviously, the whole sort of Spanish stuff and my limited knowledge of opera involves a few maracas.
1: Lots of things like that, absolutely. And also, think of Carmen. You have all of that sort of stuff. And when South America, you have all the fantastic percussion instruments of South America, which are now sort of staples in in the percussion section. So when we talk about auxiliary percussion, It is an endless topic. We could have hours and hours and hours of this podcast just talking about all those extra instruments.
0: I always love the sort of historical context of what we're talking about. And obviously, globalisation and the international travel and things like that have led to, I suppose, the expanding orchestra.
1: Totally, but especially in the percussion section. Like the, the... String section is always going to remain the string section. It's not really going to have many variants. But the place that all those variants are is that percussion section. So let's have a look at just some of those auxiliary instruments. The first one we're going to look at is the crash cymbal or just the cymbals themselves. And the crash cymbal, which we're going to listen to, we're going to listen to a little bit of Mozart but not only are we going to hear the symbol in this piece but we're also going to hear the triangle. I know that people often think that the triangle is this really easy instrument and any baby can play a triangle but to play a triangle properly is actually much more difficult. So in this we're going to be hearing both cymbal and triangle and it was used as I said by Mozart to add a little bit of spice and a little bit of Turkish feel to his music. So could you hear it? Could you hear the triangle and the cymbal in that?
0: I could definitely hear the triangle and the cymbal and also a bit of bass drumming going on.
1: Absolutely. And there was also a timpani in there too. So Mozart had it all.
0: Look, let's go back to the sources. He was like the main (laughs) guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that also putting your ears into that section is really important. That I think that we just, again, like a highlighter, you can read it, but if you put your head into that section, you can really hear the percussion much more clearly.
0: Look, I think all our listeners now are being very mindful in their listening.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really important. And as I think I've probably said to you before, Rob, it's, it can almost be like a game where I'll listen to a piece of music and I'll go, okay, I only want to listen to the strings. And honestly, I will just be able to hear the strings. And then I just want to hear that. And then I just want to hear that. and the And you do get a totally different feel of a piece of music when let's just say it's a piece of music with words if you go i want to listen to the music i don't want to listen to the words you actually don't hear the words you actually hear everything else
0: you're only listening for the clarinet
1: i'm probably only listening for the clarinet Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right so we're now going to talk about one another one of those instruments that every child has but is actually very hard to play properly and that is a tambourine uh-huh. So a tambourine, again, is one of these instruments that came from Turkey and Mozart first put it in his orchestra in 1782. Um, and it's an instrument, I mean, I don't need to, I think, to explain what a tambourine looks like. But one of the things that I will say that sometimes the tambourine has the skin over the top and sometimes it doesn't. It always has this little cymbals around the side, but sometimes it has a skin and sometimes it doesn't. But when it does have the skin, some percussionists are really clever and they can almost, they make a scraping, this bizarre scraping noise on the, on the skin of the, the tambourine, making a really strange effect. Let's have a little bit of a listen to some tambourine playing.
0: It's kind of cool that the, it way, the way it's done. and you know in, in my mind in the sort of the more contemporary music the tambourine is famous for being used by the backup singers often ah yeah as rhythm but there's obviously there's a lot more to it than just a bit of rhythm in KC and the Sunshine Band you
1: exactly. Know? exactly and you could see that depending on where the the skin was hit and how the skin was hit that guy was using all of his hands and his palms to hit the skin, but also to flip the instrument to give us the shake of the tambourine. It's almost like a full orchestra within itself because it's got the almost a rhythmic melody with the rhythm on the skin and then almost the accompaniment with the shaking of the cymbals.
0: Okay, where else are we heading? Okay,
1: so we're now heading to chimes. Okay. So chimes are big, huge pieces of metal, hanging usually pieces of metal that create a lot of noise and again are tuned because the length of the metal depends on the note of the, the chime. And one of the very, very important pieces of music is the 1812.
0: A lot of chiming going on there, you could hear it like in the 1812 overture. This is like coming to peak, I'd imagine. Yeah,
1: absolutely. This is, and and you know, it it does have this real belly sound. It's like, you know, if you don't have all the bells in your neighborhood, like huge church bells, to create it, this the chimes do exactly the same thing. It's this big, chimey sound.
0: Now, I think most people are aware of the 1812 overture. My memory, there's a very non-conventional percussion instrument used near the end.
1: Yeah, there is a very non-conventional. It's called a cannon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's usually so, I Historically, I'm not even sure. Why is it called the 1812 Overture? What's it celebrating?
1: Oh, it's celebrating Russia's victory over Napoleon.
0: Okay. We don't touch on the political here <laughs> at Coffee, Cake and Culture, the music podcast, but look, having a cannon at the climax is probably a quite a thing
1: yeah absolutely absolutely so when when Tchaikovsky hysterically when Tchaikovsky wrote it he wrote a letter to somebody saying I've written this overture it's pretty crap I don't really like it I wrote it really quickly and I don't think you're going to like it either and it was the 1812 and I think that Everybody knows the 1812, and if they know that it was Tchaikovsky, I have I have doubt. I mean, did you know it was Tchaikovsky? I did know. Oh, okay, was, excellent, yeah. fantastic. But I think that again, it's one of these pieces of music that has just become its own identity. Bolero. Most people probably don't know Bolero is written by Ravel, but they know Bolero. I think the 1812, it's like Madonna. It doesn't need a surname. It doesn't need a composer. It's just what it is. And here's the piece of music written by a guy who thought, this is just not really going to be even worth the manuscript I'm writing on. And it's probably his most well-known piece.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So
1: we're going to move on to just going to do one more set of instruments. There are so many of these auxiliary percussion instruments that I could, as I said, go on for days and days. But I found this fantastic little bit on YouTube where there is a guy who's gonna be playing a whole lot of them. So I think that might be a little bit better than me giving you this explanation. So here it is. The Bones.
0: Castanets.
1: Kashaka. Spoons from your kitchen. The 20. Cajon. It's
0: obviously ones I'm familiar with, others that I'm not, some that I'd have my soup with, but it's <laughs> uh, it's uh, I mean
1: But I think that's really important, Rob, because what it shows is that percussion instruments unlike the other instruments of the orchestra that are set that they are specific a percussion instrument can be absolutely anything
0: i know that from my uh contemporary music i know like in my bands i like the midnight oil the drummer and that a guy called rob hurst in one of their famous drum solos finishes by breaking a glass <laughs> a champagne glass and
1: power and passion and and that is a percussion instrument there is no reason why that isn't because it's a percussive sound it is a percussion instrument so i think that the percussion section is such an exciting and interesting section because it is continuous like i could give you i gave you the four stringed instruments I could be here till tomorrow and be giving you a whole bunch of percussion instruments. But I think to finish it, I want to finish it the sort of the way we started it with hearing a percussion ensemble, because now I've actually explained all those instruments to you. I think you're going to really enjoy this.
0: Fabulous. There's something about the percussion stuff that makes you think of different times or eras. Like that was, to me, that was a bit spacey.
1: Ah, yes. Or
0: scientific. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It sounded like something lost in space or something Mm. like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I could hear that. I could definitely hear that. But it was. I mean, I was beats there were obviously xylophones vibraphones maybe glockenspiels in there
1: so what that does is it gives you the whole connection you've got the tunes you've got the untuned you've got everything going on in that and I think it's just such a fabulous piece and I think you're right in the sense that maybe percussion gives you more scope for interpretation as the listener than maybe other music So when you were saying it sounds a bit spacey and all that sort of stuff, maybe a full orchestra sometimes doesn't give you the ability to imagine as much as the percussion section does. It's interesting that you said that.
0: Andy, like always, thank you for educating me. And look, I've really enjoyed it. I feel like, you know, to take the helicopter view of where we're at, I mean, we've gone from strings, woodwind... Brass section, now percussion. Mm. We're building a whole story. Like, I can't wait to pitch up and see my next orchestra perform. Where are we going from here?
1: Okay, so next one is a little bit wonky. Next one, we're going to be looking at some of the more bizarre instruments that are no longer in the orchestra, but some of them were in the orchestra previously. And some of those instruments that we all know and love, but really don't know much about.
0: Okay, I'm intrigued and looking forward to it. Not as much as I'm looking forward to.
1: I call it my bisseller, but I could be anything you want.
0: Yes, I I can see it now. It's quite sticky and definitely
1: will shut me up. ulterior motives thank you everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed it please rate and review us coffee cake and culture the music podcast on spotify apple
0: Podcasts. let your friends know you can find us on the website coffeecakeandculture.com.au until next time
1: see you later Bye. bye
0: Podcast has been produced by eTales.com.au.